David Mike made some pretty big mistakes. He was a deserter and ran away from his duty to his country. But something happened to him along the way. His life was radically changed and transformed. And now he's working to bring that radical transformation to the lives of others. In a culture that scoffs at honor, you can rise up to lead and to shine. It's time to be the best man that you can be. This is the Manlyhood Mancast. Here's your host, Josh Hatcher. Gentlemen, welcome to the Manlyhood Mancast. I'm your host, Josh Hatcher. And I really appreciate you guys supporting the work we're doing here at Manlyhood. If you want to continue to support it, uh, we're trying to grow in a way that we've never grown before. I really want to see us reach more men with this message that, one, it's good to be a man, and two, we can be even better men. And for us to reach more men, you're going to have to help. I want you to help spread the word to tell others about what we're doing here. So if this episode speaks to you, if it resonates with you, I want you to share it with somebody. Because here coming up very soon, we're going to celebrate 10 years of manlyhood. 10 years of manlyhood. I'm excited about that. But before we do that, I want to hit a goal. I'd like to double our impact. So if you share this with three people, chances are good that at least one of those people is going to say, hey, I'm into this. I want to, I'm here for this. And if all of you do that, then we've doubled our audience. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Hey, by the way, guys, if you're interested, uh, we've had one of our guests that we've had on the show is Dr. Judson Brandeis, and he uh, has some amazing supplements, guys, some amazing supplements uh, that are quite valuable. This one's called Affirm, uh, and this, you can imagine what that might be for. If you notice that uh, things might not might be a little harder for you than they used to be, uh, or rather they're not as hard for you as they used to be, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, this Affirm will help with that. Uh, and also support, which helps to boost testosterone. These supplements are amazing, and I want to encourage you to check them out. So if you go to AffirmScience.com and you use promo code MANLYHOOD, you're going to get 10% off your order. So make sure you go check that out. By the way, other great things we've got to offer. We've got some beard oil from Manlyhood Apothecary. Our friends at Hemp Mafia made this for us, and it's fantastic. It's got CBD in it and a bunch of other great, amazing essential oils. that will make your beard luxurious and smell amazing. So please grab this. Go to the Manlyhood store, manlyhood.com slash store, and we'll get your bottle sent out to you. Guys, don't forget we've got all kinds of great stuff for you uh, in the store, some other books and other resources. So please help support Manlyhood. Also, if you want to level up as a man, we've got our, uh, our, our group, the Facebook group, the Manlyhood Man Cave, which you are welcome to join. We'd love to have you if you're a man. So go on Facebook, look up Manlyhood Man Cave, join the group. We'd love to have you. Without further ado, guys, let's get into our interview today with David Mike. David, it is great to have you on the show, man. Uh, how's it going? 
Good. Yeah. Thank you for having me on your platform. I appreciate your uh, having me as yeah, a guest. Yeah, I know we've uh, been trying to make it happen for a while. I've wanted you on for a long time and um, you've got a fantastic story and uh, I think it'd be awesome to be able to kind of get into some of that. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what your life is like and, and maybe we can get into some of your story as well. Um, currently, I live in Omaha, Nebraska. I'm a cosmetology instructor, and so I teach people how to cut hair for a living. And uh, I met my wife there. Uh, recently, had one of my daughters graduate from there, and so we got a lot of hairdressers in our family. Uh, my mother-in-law went there, and uh, sister-in-law, and uh, my wife's cousin. And uh, so that's that side of the family. The other side of the family, my dad's side, is all military. So I was also in the military at one point, and uh, all my siblings were in the military. And uh, kind of those are the two sides of of what makes me who I am and uh, I have five children and currently just kind of doing the That's hair awesome. school thing very cool do you do uh men's and women's hair you do both we're we are full service so we teach uh, pretty much everything my focus has always been men's cutting um, I actually got to barber for the air force for a year and that was kind of a fun job but um we teach awesome. pretty much everything. So. Cool. so you talk about that military side uh, being part of your life. I know you've got a book uh, that tells your story. Maybe we could kind of get into that, man. Yeah, here's a copy of it right here. I thought I'd have one version to show, but um, it's called Dishonor, One Soldier's Journey from Desertion to Redemption. Uh, my military career, it was not a stellar one. It, it didn't end on a good note. So uh, a lot of things led up to that. Uh, growing up, my dad was, again, he was military. And so I had a long lineage of military members of my family. And a lot of times uh, when you live overseas and you graduate high school, the thing you do is join the military. So that's kind of what I had geared my whole life up to, uh, up to that point. So I graduated high school in Germany, joined the army when I was 17 and ended up going to uh, Fort Polk, Louisiana, which is not the end of the world, but you can see it from there is what people say. So uh, it wasn't a great place to start out uh, your career. But anyways, uh, I was doing the army thing and uh, had a girlfriend in high school that uh, dumped me at one point. So, um, you know, life felt like my life was over. And a couple of my friends were like, hey, you should come hang out with me out at the clubs. And so I started doing that. And uh, somehow it's kind of an escalated story at this point, but uh, somebody handed me a hit of ecstasy. And I had up to that point, I had never drank or taken drugs or done anything like that before. Because uh, I grew up in a Christian household and knew those things were wrong. But in a moment of grief and sadness, I took it and my life changed from that point on, I could not get enough of that drug from that point on, it was kind of crazy. So went from taking it one night to taking it every single weekend and sometimes during the week when I was on duty and it was a, uh, it was a pretty uh, addictive uh, feeling. And I think mostly it was self-medication from dealing with the pain of life and things that I could not control. And so uh, it was easier to not think than to think. So that's kind of where it went from there. And uh, eventually uh, my friends were seeing how quickly I could get it. And they're like, Hey, if we just give you the money, can you go get it for us? And this is all while I was on active duty in the army. So um, they would give me the money and I would go to the dealer. And then she noticed, man, you're kind of moving a lot of stuff quickly. How about I start giving you stuff for free if you sell for me? And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a plan. So started uh, moving for the dealer. And eventually 
word got out that that I was doing that on base. And so I got a, I started being watched by the undercover version of the uh, army uh, police. It was called the CID. So criminal investigation division, they were starting to watch me and ended up getting pulled over on, on post. And I had some on me and they said, Hey, if you come work for us and help us out, you're going to jail, but you won't go for as long if you do some stuff for us. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. It sounds like a, that sounds like a good idea. And I uh, decided that I wasn't going to do that and went and got, went out and got another shipment and was moving that around. And then uh, the place that I was staying got raided and I was there. So they talked to me and they're like, you go back to the barracks and we need to uh, have a discussion about what just happened. And they took away my roommate to jail. They took away uh, one of a soldier, a friend of mine. And then that night he escaped and called me and said, come get me, let's go. And I picked him up and pretty much disappeared for six months, moving to Houston, Texas. And uh, it was called AWOL, um, but my unit went to Panama. And so there's another church, a charge called desertion, which holds a longer sentence. And so that's where the title of the book comes from, uh, this, the desertion part of it anyways. And then for about six months, I just sold drugs and tried to stay alive, uh, kept going back to the post and selling there and ended up getting captured eventually by the undercover police who were looking for me again. And uh, started a whole situation after that with trial and court martial. Uh, got a five-year sentence, a dishonorable discharge, another part of the title of the book, and um, reduction in rank. You know, like take your stripes away from you, take all your money, and ended up uh, going to Fort Leavenworth, which is the U.S. Army prison for soldiers. So uh, ended up in there for three years and. There's a whole lot more to the story. I've got a lot of points that can we can cover. I just don't have any questions about what I just talked about. That's kind yeah, of a lot. No, that's, <laughs> that is a lot, man. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, you talk about going from the guy that's using to the guy that's dealing, you know, that's actually a, a pretty common thing, I think, for a lot of people when they start to, especially when they have those relationships, you know, that are where you've got buyers, you know, so um when, when you were going through that, what was your life like? What did, I mean, were you enjoying it or were you, you know, were you, did you feel like you were parting it and living it up or did you feel that kind of void throughout it too? I feel like during that time, especially in retrospect, it was just a big old waste of time. Uh, I, most of the time I was using so many different types of drugs, uh, self-medicating, like I was mentioning before uh, that I, probably don't remember parts of it uh, or many parts of it and uh, put myself in a lot of dangerous situations. A lot of it's detailed in the book, uh, the severity and the uh, the amounts of drugs I, I was taking. And so I am lucky to be alive. I'm, you know, blessed man. I, God wasn't done with me yet. My story's not over. <laughs> so there's a lot of uh, points that God kind of showed up in my life to protect me and save me for myself. So that was pretty awesome. And looking back now, especially having write, written a book and having to go back through all that stuff, I was able to see those different points. Uh, one specific night was the night I actually got arrested in, in the nightclub. Uh, previous to that, I told anybody if I ever got caught, I would take every single drug on me. And the night before I got arrested, randomly, me and the, uh, another friend of mine that we're going to sell together started taking these hits of ecstasy and putting them in Ziploc bags, which is was not necessary and, and was, was random, but... That night I ended up getting arrested and I had a friend come in and tell me you're about to get busted. He heard them talking about me in the parking lot and I was like, 
oh crap, I can't take any of these drugs, they're all in bags. <laughs> so I feel like that was some divine intervention and ended up throwing everything on the ground. And uh, so that was one point where God definitely intervened in my life. So that, that it was just a crazy time, super crazy time of stupidity and bad choices, uh, which I ended up having to pay for later. When you went in the service to begin with, did you do that because it's something you wanted to do or did you do it because you felt that um, obligation because that was kind of your family's history? What did you think about that? Uh, in high school, uh, I, I, I would say I was an, I'm an intelligent person. You know, this is what I've been told, uh, but I didn't apply myself very well. And college was not on the horizon. Uh, I watched Rambo when I was a kid and uh, movies like that. I saw, and also Indiana Jones. And, you know, I wanted to be an archaeologist, but then I found out that, that it's not as fun as watching them as, as obviously the character in the movie. So the uh, army was the next best thing. And, uh, you know, I wanted to jump out of planes and do all, you know, blow stuff up and, you know, things that guys want to do growing up. And so I definitely wanted to be in the military. Uh, it was something that I wanted to do to serve my country and also uh, just to do stuff that seemed like guy stuff, you know, but uh, I feel like that was also having the military lineage and my dad, you know, serving honorably among my siblings, uh, that was a big struggle for me after the fact because I had to deal with the guilt and shame of not completing honorable service, you know, so that that was a big struggle. Yeah. What, um, so you, you started doing drugs, you started dealing drugs and did that happen before you started in the military or was that after you went in? It was after I was uh, in the army for probably about a year and a half. And then you, you get busted, you go to Leavenworth, uh, which, you know, we all hear about, isn't that where the A team got broke out of? I think, you know, that's, that's the, the military prison we all hear. Oh yeah, yeah possibly. What, um, what was, <laughs> what was it like? What was that like? Yeah. So Fort Leavenworth, yeah, I had to actually move around a few places before I ended up there. You actually have to wait for a slot to get there. Uh, it's kind of weird, but it's like, a, you know, military, they have a lot of different things that they have to do to make things work. But uh, once I got there, I, I, it's really hard to explain them, uh, unless you've actually been in prison, but it, there was a darkness there that wasn't just the lighting. It, it was very dark. Uh, it was a sad place. It, it was uh, 150 years old at the time, and it was built by the same people who built uh, Alcatraz. So if you've ever been to Alcatraz, it has a similar feel to it. Uh, but there was a there's a lot of people there that were not happy, you know, to going through some stuff. Uh, circumstantially, military inmates are generally a first time offenders because you generally you can't get into the military if you if you have a record. So uh, when you create a, or when you perpetrate a crime in the military, it's generally the first time you've done something wrong or got caught doing it, right? So, um, but there was it could have been worse and. There was a lot of things that they had in place to try and get you to be a better person. Um, there was lots of programs that you had to do in order to get out on time. Generally, uh, I, I took them all, but I, I think I was doing a lot of button pushing and just doing what I was told in order to get out sooner. I, I don't think I had quite grown or understood the gravity of the situation until later in life, but I was just kind of going through the motions and, and doing what I was supposed to. I ended up working in the dining facility, which is not the job that I wanted. You kind of have choices that you can kind of, that you can pick. And they ended up in the dining facility. And I think that that was a good thing though, because uh, generally people don't mess with the cooks uh, in prison because, you know, if you're in there for a long time and you want to eat well and you don't mess with the cooks. So 
and uh, me being a little guy, that was, that was probably a good thing for me. So, yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was not a fun place. Uh, the, the worst part about prison, I would say would be the being inside of your own head, being in a cell, uh, locked up with thoughts about what you've done, uh, if you have any conscience at all, uh, and just kind of dealing with that. And looking out the window, I'd see the American flag flying over as a military post, obviously, and uh, just feeling shame and guilt, um, uh, a lot of anxiety of, of being stuck in a cell, not being able to get out of it at times, you know. And then I kind of went through the different programs and moved up in custody and had a little more freedom uh, over time. I did have one moment in prison where a guy showed up again, and uh, it was. I was up for my first parole after having served some time. And in order to get parole, you have to have some things in place. So I had to have some outside paperwork coming in, talking about where I was going to end up and things I was going to do to not, you know, commit the same crimes again. And I was waiting on a letter from my father because I thought he was his military history and him writing a letter and him vouching for me that that would help with my first parole. And so I was working in the dining facility with another guy and we were in a room by ourselves uh, there were guards there, but they weren't watching us because, you know, for whatever reason. But he sticks out his hand, and on his hand, he had two little pieces of paper, and I realized it was two hits of LSD. And so I took one without even thinking about it. I don't even know if he was offering it to me or not, but I took it. He took one, I took one, and somehow that day we were, you know, I, I had been clean for about a year and a half. So I relapsed, and we were somehow made it through the day without being found out. And that night when we got off work, I went back to my barracks where I was staying. And on my desk, there was a stack of letters. And one of the letters was from my dad. And I opened it up. And in there, it said he would stake his, stake his um, reputation, his job, and his life on the fact that I would never do drugs again. And this was the same day that I had relapsed. So at that point, I realized, and I think God orchestrated that moment to show me that the mistakes that I were making were, was affecting people other than myself. And it was at that point in that day that I swore off drugs for the rest of my life. And I've been sober for over 30 years because of that specific incident. So, yeah, that would be uh, a wake up call for sure to hear your dad, you know, to read your dad, dad's words on the day that you screwed up. Um, was it, was it, yeah. was it Not easy to get day. that stuff in prison? Not really, not there. I think it, it circulated around and I wasn't looking for it, but, this moment just popped up out of nowhere. So uh, other prisons, obviously the military one, I, I, I can't say that it was as it's easy. probably stricter and more security. Yeah. So, uh, so you have the letter from your dad. Did you get parole? Did you make parole? No, I did not. Um, you have to serve about 50% of your sentence in the, at that time when I was in. And uh, so, it, you know, I got denied and I had to go through, you know, more classes and things. And then eventually I did get it. Um, but uh, there was one particular place that I did end up and I had a lot more freedom. You ended up getting a, having a radio and I could get CDs and I uh, wasn't locked in a cell. Or, and I, I worked, you know, in a dining facility that was outside in nature and it was, it was a little bit more free. And so one night I was sitting, listening to some radio programs and I used to listen to this club music, you know, that, were, that was local. And uh, every once in a while I'd flip the ch channels and, Here's some sensational Christian uh, evangelist on on a radio program. And then right after that, this guy came on. His name was Bob George, and he was doing like question and answers. And he had written a book called Classic Christianity, and he was talking about that. And I heard him ask somebody, how many of the sins that you committed were in the future, you know, when Christ died? And the answer is all of them. And he died for your sins. 
before you were even born, knowing that you would you would uh, commit them. And it blew my mind. And they were talking about grace and forgiveness, words I'd heard in church growing up. So my dad was a music director in church and, you know, with church my whole life. And I, I heard these words, but I didn't actually understand them. And it was, they kind of changed my perspective on what grace meant. And so I ordered a copy of his book and I read through it. And I started going back through the Bible. And, you know, as a Christian, you're told you have to read your Bible all the way through at least once, you know, as, as a, it's a duty. So I'd done that many times and never really gotten anything out of it because I was doing it for the wrong reason. But after reading that book and hearing that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus and that you're clean and forgiven, it, words meant something different to me because of the situation I was in. And I didn't have to live in the guilt and shame of what I had done. And so obviously, if I got in parole the first time, I don't think I would have went back. I think I would have went back maybe to the same type of behavior, obviously, because I couldn't even control myself when I saw the LSD. So I needed a little bit more time and I needed the, to hear that radio broadcast and that's why i think that uh god was in play for sure and just hearing that and reading back to the bible and all of a sudden seeing the words uh grace and forgiveness and what jesus had done for me in order to erase all my sins so that i could be for forgiven and clean and a new creature and not have to live with all these labels that were put on me by the government and the judge and and my dishonorable discharge it, it was really freeing so that was really cool um and I, again another god moment that kind of changed uh, my, my trajectory a little bit. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, you talk about those labels cause you've got the label of deserter, the label of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, criminal, what drug, your drug, whatever they call you. Yeah. Drug dealer, yeah. convict. Yeah. Ex-con. And I imagine <laughs> that there's a lot of people in their life that hit those labels and then they stay there, you know, and they hold on to them. They don't want to, but they do. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so one of my messages that I keep trying to um, convey to people who, who read my book and uh, is that you don't have to be defined by your past. You know, Jesus uh, created a way for us to uh, let all that go. And uh, when we know what our, who our, where our identity lies in, in him and not the labels of the world, then we can be free. Like it's a different freedom. Um, and error will keep you in bondage and truth will set you free. And that's the mm -hmm. truth. So... Eventually, you serve your time. Did the rest of your time in prison go better after you uh, kind of had that experience where you were reconnected with your faith? For sure. I was definitely uh, in a different headspace and a heart space. And uh, I could see, you know, see God working in my life towards uh, things that he was leading me towards. Um, I think once I got out, I, I don't know that I was 100% there yet. Um, I still had some attachment to things of the past and, and just not really knowing what I was supposed to do in my life. I, I was 21 when I went to prison and about 23 when I got out. So I, I you know, it, if you, your brain doesn't fully develop until you're probably 30 and for men, sometimes 35 and 40, but uh, definitely just still kind of trying to figure myself out. And I think what happened was 9-11, uh, uh, it was like the whole world was just, in a, in a, you know, it was, it was bad. So my brother had just joined the military and I was worried about him the whole time. And all these people were going to sign up uh, to fight for freedoms. And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't participate. I couldn't do anything because of this, these labels again, that were popping up that, you know, I, I can't serve because I have a black mark on me that says I'm a deserter. And, 
it didn't not, it didn't feel good. So I busted out that book again and started reading and, and I had to have that reconnection with God. And so um, that made me feel a little bit better. And then as time went on, people kept saying to me, oh, you know, they would say something that would kind of pop my my backstory into conversation. You know, maybe it's the students I was teaching or people in my life that, that would cross my path. And they say, you were, you went to prison. You don't seem like that kind of person. And I'm like, yeah. And I tell a couple stories and they're like, hey, you really should write a book. And I was like, ah, I don't really know if I can, like, and I don't really know how I got out of high school. Uh, it was kind of like one of those mercy pass situations. Like he's smart, but uh, he didn't apply himself, but we don't want to keep him back. So we'll just let him out kind of thing. So I'm like, how somebody like me ever going to write a book? And I stumbled upon uh, John Acuff, which I think maybe you were in some of the same groups as me. And he started this experiment where he was going to have people, um, kind of work on something together and, and use resources with each other to, to figure things out. And I said, well, I want to kind of tell my story. And uh, everybody I was in this group had said, start blogging. So I started a blog and just started writing my story out. And then I talked to my parents and started calling all the people from my past that I could get connections with and just making sure that the story was true. And I, I, I wasn't making stuff up and that I remembered things accurately. And my mom handed me this big old stack of letters uh, that had written, uh, from when I left for the army until probably about my third year in prison. So uh, I had a chronological, chronological order of everything and everything just started falling into place. And over a three year period, I was able to write this blog and people started reaching out to me. It was very interesting because when you share your story with somebody and you start telling things that happen to you and you're vulnerable, people start reaching back out and saying, I'm going through the same thing. I have a kid or a family member that struggled or I myself have served time and, it was really cool to have people reach out to me and, and people started telling me that my story was helpful to uh, understanding what their family member was going through and it just kept growing. And it was, it was really cool. And I don't want to take credit for it at all. I feel like God was completely working, you know, to get this story out. And uh, after the third year, I finished the story and I just like, it, it put me in a place of being able to let go of everything. It was really cool. I, I'm not an emotional guy, but the very last, blog post, I, I kind of lost it a little bit and it just felt like a release. Um, then I was able to compile it into the book form and um, that was six years ago and I'd still, people still buy it, people still share it. Um, people have donated money to help me get the word out and so I have a fund set up to send books to inmates for free. I ship them, you know, to inmates directly uh, into the prisons. Um, I even connected with a woman who teaches cosmetology, which is, you know, what I do for a living inside of a women's prison in Oklahoma. And so every graduating class from this uh, cosmetology program in prison, every one of the graduating class members gets a copy of my book for free. I just ship it to her and she gains them out. It's just been really cool to see where my story has ended up and who I've been able to help and how God has used my mess for his message. Yeah. I think that's an awesome thing, man, that, you know, no matter how bad we screw up, first of all, that God can give us a second chance to start over. You know, and I know that I've seen that in my life. Sometimes it's been second, third, fourth chances. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> That's the other thing is to be able to transform the hardest, deepest, most screwed up and painful parts of our life to then use that to help somebody else. Like, that's an awesome thing, man. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been, uh, it's been eye-opening. Uh, you just never know the things that you go through that there'll be purpose or reason in it. And like I said, if I could go back, obviously there's things I wouldn't, would not have done, but I'm just thankful that I am where I am today and that I'm able to 
to share that. And, and I am in a place where I can share it openly and it doesn't affect me in a negative way anymore. I haven't had hardly anybody ever reach out and say, you know, you're a bad person because of what you've done. It's been, it's, it's all been positive. And I'm just, I'm just glad that, that God can use me that way. Yeah, Cause I, you know, you think about, you know, if we go back to that label or those labels, the dishonor, the deserter, those things, you know, I mean, a lot of people probably have some pretty strong emotions about those things, you know, and, and maybe, For maybe sure. even rightly so, you know, but, um, I love that regardless of how they feel about it, like you're not the same person. The David that went to prison isn't the same guy that came out, you know? Definitely not. I did run into one guy. I was in a, I'm in a Facebook group with a, my high school, which was in Germany. And it was all military uh, family members, you know, that went to this uh, high school and a lot of them joined the military. So there was one guy kind of, I was sharing blog posts in there because I thought people would be interested in, in kind of hearing my story and how I ended up where I ended up and where I am today. And this guy reached out and was kind of slamming me a little bit about being a drug dealer. And, and, and the cool thing was, is like, I, he doesn't know me. He, this guy doesn't know me. He was from years before uh, I went to the school. And so I just reached out and said, you know what? You, you're totally entitled to your opinion. And I respect that. And let me send you a free copy of my book for, for serving honorably. He didn't want anything to do with me and had a lot of people jumping in trying to, trying to, uh, you know, back me up. And I was like, oh, you, you got to let this guy, his freedom of speech, he can say whatever he wants. And uh, about three years later, he reached out to me on Facebook and said, hey, man, uh, I don't know what I was going through back then, but I apologize. And I thought it was really cool because I could have lashed out and, and been a jerk to him, but that's that's not, that would not have been the right thing to do. And uh, it was it was just really cool. that I w I'm in a place where I, I don't, it was okay for him to say that. I felt like, yeah. it, you know, he didn't know me and that was his opinion. He's entitled to it. So. Yeah. And that's, like you said, that's the cool thing is being in, being secure enough in one yourself, you know, and the changes that have happened, but also, you know, the fact that regardless of that, God helped you through it all, man. Like you're not the same guy. And, and people right. are, I mean, people on the internet, <laughs> we could get into a whole topic about that. People on the internet, you know, they have, it's like beer muscles, you know? Like the keyboard muscles, they, they can type mm -hmm. whatever they want and not have to answer for it. <laughs> right. So I generally stay in inside the Facebook groups that make me a better person or uh, I know I'm safe. So I, I, that's what I use social media for. And obviously to promote my book, uh, I think if I didn't have this story, I wouldn't be on as many social platforms or as engaged. Um, you know, having been a military kid and moved around my whole life, and not having roots, it's been cool to stay connected to people over the years. So social media has its benefits, but it definitely has its downfalls if you if you get caught up in it. So yeah, the internet is what has the best and the worst that the world has to offer all in one. So, right, uh, David. So how did you get connected with uh, your wife and your your story? That's a, a part of your story that I really don't know a whole lot about. Is you know, so you, you get out of prison, you move on, you know, you started your life over. You know, and then like who you are now looks so different then. So, so where did, where did that, where did your wife come in? How did you, you start your family? How did that all come together? Well, I was, uh, I had a, I was previously married and, uh, she was in the air force. So I moved from Omaha at, from the school I was working at, uh, eventually to England. And I was working as a barber over there and 
that ended up falling through, uh, that relationship fell through. And so I moved back to Omaha. And when I came back to Omaha, my wife was enrolled in the school as a student. And so there was some sparks there. And uh, so we ended up starting, starting to date while she was in school, which, you know, it's not high school. So it was okay. A lot of people say, oh man, that was kind of crazy, but it, it really wasn't. We were both adults. So we kept it a little low key and uh, we just knew we were right for each other. And so uh, I definitely, she is more, probably right for me than I am for her, but, uh, def definitely, uh, it's been the best thing. Best decision I ever made was to marry her. She, she's made my life so much better. So that's, she's a great woman. That's awesome. And you've got how many kids? We have three and then I have two from the other marriage. I got you. So I have five total. Five kids total. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so I know that, you know, one of the things about manlyhood is, it's not a Christian podcast, but I'm a Christian and I'm like, sometimes my guests are. So I love to be able to, you know, I, I won't ever censor anybody from telling their story, whether I, you know, whatever, but I, I love to be able to talk to people about faith and how it's changed their life. Um, I know that, you know, if somebody's listening to this, that isn't a Christian, you know, uh, and if they're still listening, which is really, <laughs> that would be awesome if they still are. Cause some people tune it out. Right. What's really cool is I think because of the fact that I try to keep open, you know, I keep an open dialogue and I'll have people on of all different kinds of stripes. It, I think people are willing to listen, but what would you say to the person that, you know, that they, they, they aren't a Christian. They're, they're doubting all of it. And they're like, well, something changed in this guy's life, but I don't understand it. <laughs> what would you say to that guy? So you're saying if somebody were to read my story that wasn't a Christian yeah, or somebody even listening to the podcast today or someone's read your book and, and they're intrigued by it they're they appreciate it. But what would you say to them about about how faith, you know, what role faith has in it and, and why why they should take that seriously? Well, interestingly, when I wrote my book, I did it in a way that faith, it was faith light all the way through until the very end. So. I did not want somebody to feel like I was beating them over the head with the Bible. I didn't want anybody to feel like you had to know Christianese in order to read it. It's literally a guy who screwed up and ended up, you know, finding his way uh, somehow, some way, and just kind of what prison was like and how quickly somebody can be, you know, grow up good, turn bad, and then turn good again. And, and that's probably a super paraphrased way to say it, but I don't think. I would have survived without faith. And I don't know how I could tell somebody who doesn't believe how I made it out because of some clear God moments. Uh, and so I know people talk about a higher power and maybe that's something that people may understand more, you know, if you go through AA or NA or any of the um, anonymous type programs, that there is something out there that um, draws you to be better than you are. So I, I, it's really, it's really difficult to probably explain my path without faith because it was a huge part of it. Um, but um, there are people out there that are willing to help you with whatever you're struggling or dealing with. And I would say that the biggest struggle for men is to keep it inside, keep it internal and not reach out for help because we've got this and you don't. You, faith or no faith, we screw up all the time and we need community and we need people and we need others to either, you know, with experience and having been, been through the things that we're going through to help us out of it. And, you know, it's rare that somebody can just like do it on their own. But I, I think that uh, if you're not a person of faith, I would say reaching out, just reach out to people that, you know, 
that have gone, that maybe have gone through the same thing. And, and that, that would be my advice. Yeah. I, uh, I've got a lot of friends that are in recovery and, uh, they are at various stages in that I've got some people that have, you know, have banked a lot of sober time and I've got some friends that are, you know, uh, not, you know, they've, they've recently overdosed and started over again, you know, they're lucky to be alive. Um, you know, what advice would you give to somebody in that position? Who's, who's right in the middle or the thick of, of their recovery process? From my experience, I don't think that anybody in recovery, unless they're willing to change and have made the decision will ever make it out and be sober and clean for life. It, it is going to be a struggle. And so many people will say with an addict, you can't, you cannot help an addict. The addict has to make the decision and then get help. And then you have to want the help because you can't help somebody out of it. it they have to reach out on their own decision. Even then it's a struggle. Luckily for me, it just took that one decision. And I don't think that with the, with the number, the amount of drugs I had, ta I had taken and the, the frequency, it was still a very short period of time. So I did, it wasn't years and years and years of addiction. I have addictive personality and I can get addicted to things, but it, it really was that one moment for me. So it, I would say, um, if somebody's in the middle of that, I keep trying. And, and when you're ready, there are people who will help you. And like, whether you use a program or not, I, I actually didn't need the programs. I went through them in prison. And again, I was just pushing buttons to get out. And then when I got out, my parole officer, I said, I'm done. I'm ready to move on with my life. And he's like, I, can, I believe you, but go ahead and go to an AA meeting. I went to an AA meeting. I said, don't need it. I'm good to go. And he's like, okay, I believe you. Um, if you screw up, you're going back to prison though. <laughs> Cause I was on parole for about two and a half years. So I just, I stay clean. And, uh, I made the decision. I do not want to do drugs again. I don't want to drink. I don't want to do any of that stuff that takes me down. So I, I feel like when you're ready, then reach out for help and people can help you. But yeah, it is definitely hard to help an addict. Yeah, It's a sickness too. People don't realize it and they will do anything for the high. So that's where hurting family and, and you know, stealing from family, doing things that are harmful. It, it's, it's not intentional. It's, it's the disease. It's the sickness. And so understanding that is probably going to be more important for the people surrounding the person who's an addict. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people, you know, when, yeah, your, your decision to take your first hit is always your choice. But once you're addicted, man, like your, your agency is now, it belongs to that thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and it's very hard, to sure. back, very hard to get it back. And I think that, um, hearing other people share their story, especially people who have made it out of extreme circumstances. So one of the things I do just kind of keep my head in the game is I do a lot of the books I read are bios and memoirs of people who have struggled through some severe adversities. And so it's easy to look at my life and say, I have got it made, you know, because you know, what I went through is a little blip, you know? And it helps, it helps me, helps keep me grounded. So I like uh, hearing other people's stories and, and kind of knowing that um, we're all not alone in this world. And there's always somebody who's got wor worse than you or had to go through something worse than you. And so uh, when you feel like life is, is not worth it or that it's as hard as it's ever going to be, it's, it's usually not. Yeah. How was uh, that, that process of um, changing your mind about, the shame, 
right? The labels and casting that off and, and taking on new, new, a new label. What was that like to, do you still struggle with that ever? Is it still kind of haunt you? Is it ever come back or how do you handle that now? From time to time, um, there, there are moments where I'll kind of fall into like, is what I'm doing even, does it make a difference? And I, I think in relation, obviously the military is probably the strongest thing because, you know, when we've, we've got these wars going on for years and years, not that I'm a warmonger or not that I feel like I want to go fight anybody's battle. I do feel like having served my country honorably would have been something that I would have felt better about. And so, you know, when I see those type of things going on and, and just kind of feeling like I can't participate, even if I want to, the, the feeling is a little bit still there, but I, after hearing I'll tell you the strong, the hardest thing for me would would have was probably more like Veterans Day and Memorial Day when people would want to reach out to veterans and say things. And, you know, people had known that I was in the military, but not my whole story. And they would say, thank you for your service. I'm like, I didn't, I did not serve honorably. Now I just say, thank you. And I've had a lot of veterans reach out to me and say, you, but you signed the dotted line. You did sign up to serve regardless of what happened with your career. You put your, you put your signature down on the paper. And so um, I think with community and, and people around me, it, it's been super helpful to uh, come out of that guilt and shame. But the biggest was God said that I am forgiven and I don't need a pardon from the president. I don't need my dishonorable discharge erased. It's gone. Like it, it doesn't exist only in this book. You know, it's, it, it's in here. You know, people can read about it, but it's not me anymore. So I think without, like I said, without God, it's really hard to come up with a different way to remove that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I think people always forget, because you've got those people out there that are like, well, once a criminal, always a criminal. Yeah, but you also served your time. You know, you paid your fines. You did your mm-hmm. due, like, like you screwed up. And then you, in whatever way that you needed to do, according to the law, made things right. You know, like uh, that recompense was made. And then beyond that, on a personal spiritual level, <laughs> you had even more recompense from somebody else who paid what you could never pay back anyway, you know, which I think is awesome. Yeah, that is true. I, I, the problem is I think the um, returning to prison rate is so high. That's where people kind of get that idea. And it is true. It's, it's a rare thing for somebody to go into prison and come out one time and never go back, you know? So uh, people like me are an anomaly. And when, when, when you, you tell your story and they're like, that's it. Wow. That's, that's pretty rare. So. Yeah. So I, I love that you are uh, getting your books into prisons uh, and you've got, you know, people there whose lives are being impacted by your story. You know, your, your, uh, your past, your story, your mistakes and your triumphs are now being used to help other people. Do you hear uh, often stories from people who are reading the book and hearing, hearing about it? Uh, so from time to time, I'll hear from the inmate, which is pretty rare. I think most times they read a book and move on. Uh, but the family members that I'm connecting with, and that's usually how I get the book in. Um, interestingly, I was in a, a Facebook group for family members of incarcerated people. And I think the lady added me because she knew my story. She read my story. And uh, so a lot of times people join this group looking for hope and, and answers to questions. And I, I've been you know, just message them directly and say, Hey, can I send a book to your son, to your husband, to whoever? And they're like, yeah, please. And, and so they'll tell me that the book was read and was received well and gave him some hope. 
And then, you know, over the years I've heard from mostly it's the family members of people. And every once in a while I'll hear from somebody who was in, who got out um, or because communication is a little bit tricky for people in prison. Uh, recently I had a chaplain at Fort Leavenworth reach out to me and say he wanted to connect with me and, and talk to me about how he can better help the inmates. But he had to, he then he found out after emailing me that he wasn't supposed to communicate with anybody who had ever been there before, which is interesting. I didn't know that. So I haven't heard from him since because I don't think he got it approved. So okay. if he does reach out again, that's another connection. But I have sent a couple books actually into the prison I was in, and that's been really cool. That's awesome. That is very cool. So, David, I like to ask all my guests a couple questions. Um, I love getting the difference of responses and just to hear people's different perspectives on these things. So I'd like to hear it from you as well. I think it'd be great. Uh, the first question is, what does it take to be a man? You know, it's interesting that you asked me this question because when uh, you kind of gave me a, a heads up on that you were going to ask it, but I'm a cosmetology instructor. I teach 100 women a year. There's rarely any guys there. And uh, I have three daughters at home that I raised, It's and I'm completely outnumbered. And I've always been a little bit uncomfortable around men because, I, you know, it's not like men want to talk about hair <laughs> unless they're losing it. Uh, so I would have to say the greatest example of being a man would be uh, following my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, I think that laying down your life for others is the biggest sacrifice you can make. And um, I, I, my father stood up for me at my trial. And so he was showing the love of Christ uh, in earthly form. He actually testified at my trial and in uniform at his son's court martial, which, you know, could have been very embarrassing for him, but he did it anyways. And he stood up for me. So, I mean, I had a good example there. Uh, my wife's father is also a great role model. And so I try and emulate him because I know that most women marry a man wanting them to be like their father. Um, but serving others, be a servant leadership, doing things for others, uh, especially when they can't do things for themselves, is is probably a good example of being a man, uh, loving your family the best that you can and being present whenever possible. I think that's probably the best advice I have. I think that's excellent advice. And yeah, you know, it takes a man to raise, <laughs> to raise daughters <laughs> man to be able to teach women at, at cosmetology school. So yeah, don't even, I mean, women yeah. teach it too, but yeah, that, that that's not a threat to your masculinity at all, man. I don't think we look at those things and think right. it's not manly because he cuts hair. No, man. Like I prefer to go to yeah. a, a a male barber because you know my wife uh, cuts my hair a lot, right? And she does a really great job when she, does. yeah. Uh, but it's kind of sexy, so I don't want to go to a female <laughs> because I don't want to like you know <laughs> if a guy cuts my hair, it's not sexy. So I'll go to my wife, <laughs> a male barber. <laughs> Uh, well, the funny thing is like over the years, uh, when I've been around other guys, uh, or especially like married couples and all this stuff, um, you know, all the guys get together and the first thing they do is start talking about sports and have no clue what they're talking about. I've never been involved in it. I didn't even take P in high school, you know, it's kind of a story, but, um, and, or cars or things of that hunting. I can't, I'm not allowed to own a gun because of my situation. So I, I, I kind of start running out of things to talk about. And I ended up talking to the females more than the males uh, in those situations. So it's always been just kind of an interesting dynamic uh, because I'm around them all the time that it's, I'm more comfortable talking to them, but 
I have been uh, recently in a, a group of guys, uh, we do go rucking, which is basically carrying a backpack with weights in it, you know, out in the state parks. And it's been interesting integrating with these guys because they're all former military for the most part. And so there's some commonality there. And, and so I've, I've been around guys in, in, in kind of more of a testosterone nature uh, than I have been <laughs> before in my life. Yeah. No, I yeah. love it. I, I think that's the thing. Like, I think there's all those things that you mentioned that are very stereotypical guy things to talk about. And, uh, I I'm kind of similar, man. Like I'm a, I was a, a band geek, you know? And, uh, so yeah. I didn't, yeah, we played in the marching band, but I hadn't, no, I didn't even care about the football. I was just there for the, the yeah. in the band, you know, I mean, you know, I was there to play uh, was four years for TC here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so when you, uh, when you translate that to the, yeah, like, I found that uh, a lot of guys will bond over the things they know, and um, it's it, dude, it's totally cool. I love it. I love that you're that you're still seeking it out and finding it though. You know, like what can we bond on? Hey, we can bond on this. Right, works. That works. You know, totally get that. Uh, David, if you were to run into the ten year old version of yourself, I mean, I I know that takes a lot of physics and bending space time rules, but. You run into the 10 year old version of right. David. What do you want to tell him? Oh man. Uh, well, I don't know that I, I, I guess would, so I'm a, a super analytical and I like to like process things, but I was thinking that if I told the 10 year old me, what I had gone through, would it change, would it change the decisions that I made? And I would hope that it would, but then I wouldn't probably have met my wife, you know? So that's one thing I'm like, man, if I could have gone back and not done all that, this is where I'd be in life. And she's like, but you wouldn't have met me. So I guess the 10 year old me needs to know life is hard. It is not what you think it's going to be. And, but you're going to be okay. So there's been some pretty dark times in my life and things have gone, could have gone worse, but at the end there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's God and Jesus is, you know, path for me. So um, I think life is hard. It is not going to be easy, but you're going to be okay. Yeah. I love it. I want to say don't do drugs. <laughs> that would be really good advice too. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> but, but I bet you a lot of people so. did tell you that when you were 10, right? And oh, yeah. It, it didn't Nancy matter. Reagan. Yeah. Just say no. <laughs> and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. <laughs> nope. 12-year-old, 13-year-old version of yourself already forgot everything 10-year-old version ever heard, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think about that a lot, actually. Well, my next question for you is what is your best advice for the men that are listening today? So my best advice would be, and I mentioned before is whatever you're going through, don't do it alone. Uh, alone is just a, not a great place, especially when you're struggling, you need to reach out uh, to somebody that you trust, somebody that you don't know that you trust. If you're afraid of whatever it is you need to talk about. Um, but definitely community is important. And that's something that I did not utilize, uh, which got me into my mess. Um, I was in a community, but a community of people making bad decisions. And I really needed to reach out to somebody um, instead of doing what it did. So I, I think just seek, seeking out help uh, when you feel helpless and it's okay to feel helpless um, and not have the answers, uh, but finding somebody that does, or at least can guide you through what you're going through would be my best advice. I think it's great advice. I know that's the case with me in my life, man. Like sometimes when it's hard, you don't want people around you. 
<laughs> you know, like right. when you're isolated. Yeah, dude. Like the iso- isolation is like the easy path at first because you don't want people in your junk and you don't want people asking you hard questions and you don't want people, you know, but dude, like, yeah, yeah, it is not a good road. I think every time that I've been isolated, what ends up coming out of me is not what should be coming out of me, you know? Right. It's easy to go into caveman mode. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not caveman anymore. (laughs) No, definitely not. (laughs) So if people want to get plugged in with your book, what is the best way for them to connect with you and make that happen, man? So my book is on Amazon. So Dishonor, One Soldier's Journey from Desertion to Redemption. Uh, If you go to Amazon, type in Dishonor and David Mike, which is my name, uh, it'll come up. And um, I have a blog that is still active. I haven't posted on it, but I still keep it active because people still run across it and find my book there. And it's dilemmamike.com, one L, two M's. People have a hard time spending dilemma, spelling dilemma. And then all of my social media is Dilemma Mike. So um, I'm at Dilemma Mike on pretty much every platform, Facebook, Twitter, you name it, Instagram. Awesome. And there's always a link to find the book there. So So if somebody wants to uh, get a copy of your book in the hands of of maybe somebody that they know that's in in jail or to reach out with you, that's that's the best way is to reach out with social and connect, right? Yeah, social media uh, on the blog itself, or you can email me at dilemmamike at gmail.com directly and and just uh, I need a name, an inmate number, an address, and then I'll take it from there. Awesome. I will work on uh, making sure we get your information in the show notes as well so people can connect with you. But hey, yeah, I appreciate that. I've really enjoyed talking to you today, man. I know, like I said, we've been wanting to do this for a long time. So I'm really, really grateful that you were able to come on the show today. Now, I went back in the, the Facebook uh, Messenger and I think it was 2015. <laughs> we were trying to like connect. Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't even doing, I, I don't even think I was doing my podcast yet. I was like playing. It was the out. blog. Yeah, it was the blog. Yeah, yeah, we started with the blog. And I'm like, I want, I want to get, I want to get his, his thoughts. So I'm really glad that we were able to, to connect. And, and I think this is a much better way than the blog anyway, because we could see your face. We can talk to you, have that conversation. And I think that's going to be awesome. So, right. Well, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, let, maybe we'll get together and talk again sometime. So it'd be great. Yeah. I thank you uh, so much for letting me uh, use your platform to tell my story. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. David, thank you so much for sharing your story with us here on the Manlyhood Mancast. I really appreciate you, man. I appreciate your willingness to share the hard things that a lot of people might shy away from and never want to share with anybody. But that darkness of your past, dude, it's been conquered and it's awesome. And I'm glad that you we're able to take the time. Guys, please support David. Check out his book um, and let's uh, buy a copy of it. Let's support him because we know that's going to get in the hands of some other men that need the chance to have their life transformed in that same way. If you are a man that wants to grow and wants to become something more, I want to encourage you guys, please go to the Manlyhood Man Cave on Facebook and connect with our guys there. Uh, just join the group. Uh, you'll have to answer a couple questions and then we'll approve you to the group if you're a man and we can uh, grow together and become better men together. I appreciate you guys sharing this episode with other people, leaving us a rating or a review or subscribing to the channel or the podcast. That helps us by telling all the big tech AI algorithms that what we're doing here is important. So please, let's help us spread the word about manlyhood. I love you guys. I care about you. And I'll see you next time. 
you want to be a better man, check out our website, manlyhood.com, for blogs, videos, and more from our Manlyhood team. And you can also join our private Facebook group, Manlyhood Man Cave, where you can meet up with a band of brothers who will challenge you and help you on your journey of manhood. This episode is produced by Hatcher Media for manlyhood.com. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, YouTube, or wherever you're listening to the show. Tune in again for more of the Manlyhood Mancast.